1: to the victorious souls podcast today with me your host danielle burnock that lady on the internet who loves you connecting you to the love that heals so you can love yourself from survive to thrive today on my show i have doug sweeney and doug sweeney is dedicated to leading other men out of addiction he's suffered that torment himself and so he understands So he wants to share how he got free and how he helps other people get free as well. Thank you for coming on the show with me today, Doug.
2: No, thank you so much, Danielle, for having me. I, uh, I've listened to a few of your episodes and I love the way you handle your uh, business and I look forward to doing the best I can for you.
1: Oh, I'm sure it'll be wonderful. Folks, we talked a little bit before we got started and I'm excited about some things that you have to share that I didn't know before five minutes ago. (laughs) So (laughs) Tell us about growing up. You struggled with addiction, but you know when did that all start and what was your childhood like? And lead us into Doug.
2: Okay. Well, I grew up in a family of five. I uh, had two brothers and my mother and father remained married the whole time. Although from a very, very young child... Probably my earliest, some of my earliest memories. I just never remembered peace um, yeah. between my father and mother and their their happiness. Uh, my dad was an angry man at most all the time. He was he always had something to complain about, something to fight with my mother about. And because of these little things, uh, well, not so little, but because of these big things, Abuse brought was brought into the picture. A, tons of emotional, tons of uh, verbal abuse, but it escalated even into physical abuse. So I seen, what, between a screaming, angry father and uh, nobody ever being able to do anything right, everybody being put down or uh, just not good enough, or in the way or more than quiet, which would be noisy, I guess. All these things uh, I began to internalize in myself. I didn't have uh, a broad vision to figure out what this meant. And I just assumed from a very young age, from internalizing all that I ever heard him complain about and put me down or put my brothers down, put my mom down, all these things that, that happened in the developmental childhood caused me to internalize no worth, no confidence, no sense of value. I, if, I, if I messed up as much as he said I messed up as a young child, then I didn't really have a point of reference to look forward to. And therefore, I just, I just remained quiet. Uh, I didn't start friendships. I didn't, you know, I started baseball when I was in third grade. I, I played a year, or a year and a half, and then just I lost all hope because I wasn't going to be successful at that either. I just felt like I was, I had this message within me that I'm not good enough. My dad never seemed happy. He never hugged me. He, de- he didn't show, there was no father son affection. He definitely didn't show affection to my mother she had always messed up she was always being ridiculed by him likewise with my brothers it was just that was the that was the upbringing and those were the things that instituted my sense of value or sense of worth and so because of that uh and watching him drink day in day out um at a young age, I decided that I would go ahead and try this thing that i seen all the time. And so I would save, you know, two or three beers until it got to be four or five or six beers. And then at age 12 was the very first time that I consumed. And I consumed about three or four beers, I think, maybe four or five. I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. But i was alone i wasn't even with anybody the very first time that i consumed all i knew was my fleshly nature immediately gravitated to that and said that from now on somehow i knew right then and there that that was what i was going to use to make myself feel better in other words cope
0: mm-hmm.
2: i was going to i was going to cope this way and so once in a while from that moment on, I would do the same thing and do this alone uh, because I'm so young, I didn't have the means to go out. I grew up in the country, so I didn't have the means to go out and be with friends that I really never even had. Mm -hmm. And so I did this alone for several times until I got older, until I got in high school, age 14. And then I started finding the mischievous kids to hang around the kids that were already doing some of the things that I wanted to do and be accepted with. And that's where it led. I got into the cliques with these guys that were breaking laws or breaking school rules, getting suspended, increasing and and, and tacking on to other addictions themselves in which I soon gravitated to I started you know smoking weed and and doing other stuff and what it led to for me is that by the time I was a junior in high school I had already uh acquired two DUIs driving under the influence car uh offenses and for one reason, you know, I, 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 accept my bad decision, but I honestly, when I grew up, I seen, I always seen this as I stated, my dad used, he drank all the time. He drank more on his off days and he was off as much as he worked because he worked long shifts when he worked, mm. but every do? day of the week, he your dad do? just, he just worked in a uh, plastic molding company that uh, he was, it was a night shift, but he worked 12 hour nights. Oh yeah. That's and so, <laughs> so he worked for, and he was all four at that time, all through the eighties and up until the early nineties. Wow. And these and kids then, that uh, you were
1: hanging out with in high school, I don't know, you might not know the answer to this. Cause I'm hearing how you gravitated to them, which makes perfect sense. <laughs> Did they have the same kind of home life? Were you aware that he, they had a home life that was disruptive or abusive or some sort of variation on a theme of that? Do you even know?
2: In that time, I didn't know, nor did I care. But eventually, after some time passed, I would find out something, you know what I mean? Usually broken families, usually divorce, mm. usually uh, rebellion from that or mm-hmm. from another act. A lot of times, even back then, uh, I would notice some some parents really had loose loose rules, and that could they could just do more than what I was allowed to do or anything yeah. like that. But there was always a uh, some form of brokenness. Every time I ever you know perceived it, it was just a while before I perceived it after I started learning. But yeah, and these were the guys that, I, that accepted me because I was ready to impress somebody with how much I could drink.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then that's where my tolerance would go so high that I started drinking way, way more and way heavier because I just wanted someone to be accept me. If, I, if, I, yeah. if I, everything I did that my father condemned me for was wrong and bad, then maybe I could impress somebody with how I could drink. Mm -hmm. or how I could use drugs and
1: that's so telling it's it's exactly how our psyche responds to that because we develop attachment as we're growing up and you didn't have a secure attachment you had avoidant and sounds like the anxious avoidant you had both of those things going on and we need relationships so it makes perfect sense And I just want to pause here for our listeners to hear this, that even though these behaviors are not healthy and they're not good, they're not abnormal for the cause. Trauma is the cause of that, but we can heal and get out of it. So I don't want to be condemning. It's like the behaviors, they follow the belief. Behavior follows belief. You know, The behavior is the side effect of what's going on in the heart and the heart is really the, the heart of the matter. <laughs>
2: right. Exactly. You said it. It is. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, but so, you know, I, I forget where I left off, but I want to, I want to touch on this, on this thing right here is that, you know, I mentioned my, the peers that I gravitated to mm-hmm. and seeing divorce I, back in the eighties. I don't know if anybody remembers, but divorce became like a new fad.
0: Mm-hmm. It was
2: becoming so, Prevalent. Everybody was getting divorced left and right. Yeah. went from no
1: one can get divorced to, Oh, yeah. no fault divorce. And then people, yeah, yeah it kind of did kind of yeah. explode. Like what's marriage anymore?
2: <laughs> exactly. And so I used to think, why won't my mom and dad get divorced? I was watching, you know, kids suffer from this, but I wasn't going to suffer. I was welcoming it.
0: Mm-hmm. I
2: wanted my mom and dad to get divorced so bad. And I remember one incident specifically where I basically begged my mother. I begged her, why why do we have to do this? Why do we have to write screaming, foul language letters? Because he worked at night and she worked in the day back and forth to each other. They would write each other letters. My dad would say what she better do, what she better have done. And, you know, it was also a lot of lies. I was the in-between for the lies that Mom didn't want dad knowing, and dad didn't want mom knowing. So there was so much contention and strife that I was in the middle of. And I was the oldest of three boys, two boys that were a year and a half apart. And I'm four and a half and five and a half years older than they are. Oh, wow. So I was also in charge of them. uh, That's correct. Vacation. (laughs) Yeah. And summer vacation was nothing but just be quiet and be in the TV and don't make a sound, you know what I mean? During summer vacation. So these things were some, these were the factors that I really, that helped mold what purpose I thought there was, and which was nothing. Yeah. And so I just increased my use. Um, and I think I started to say that, you know, by junior of uh, high school, I already had two DUIs. And then it was at that point, I had runaway charges, they called it, uh, I forget what they called it back then, Uh, unruly uh, charges for running away Mm. from home. And then it came to the point one day after taking alcohol to school that uh, my probation officer, I was on juvenile probation, my probation officer asked me if I thought I was an alcoholic. And I just thought, are you kidding me? I'm only 17, how could that possibly be? And they offered to put me into rehab. And I only accepted because I was going to be absent for school for 30 days. And not be with so, your dad. <laughs> yeah. And away from my home life and all of that. So I agreed. And I went into this, this adult rehab as a juvenile. The only one in there is a juvenile. And wow. uh, I learned from that point, from the beginning, first time I learned what the, what the world offered as far as secular programming. And it impacted me in a, in a, in a little bit because of it was my first time of the walls of my heart breaking down and the pain. And, and I got really emotional. And, and I thought, you know, that this, this was, this was going to be the way and and, and that I was going to stay sober for the rest of my life, but at a day at a time this way. And, So I went through the whole phase phases of that and I got out and it wasn't even three months. And I was back into my use, Uh, graduated high school through all this. I continued to use, I got jobs, had a strong work ethic. I had good leadership in that with my very first job, but my use over, over, Victorized in everything. It 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 just took me away from the things that I needed to do to be successful. So I'm continue. I all I remained drinking and driving. I always drank and drove until finally I came to a point of one accident in particular that come to a devastation. I was dating a woman who had two children. Uh, I did not, I, sh- I did not um, really agree in my heart that I should be dating this woman. She wasn't uh, any type of woman that I that I longed for or anything. But I loved her children, and I never had children, so this was a this was a, a wonderful thing for me. After all the mistakes that I've already had, I wanted to stay with her. One night we get in a fight. And her ex-husband comes by to see his son. His son is in our house. And because we had gotten in a fight, I just want to get away. And him and I decided to go to a bar. He wasn't even a friend. He was just an acquaintance. He was Mm. the ex-husband of the woman I dated. And we went to the bar. And we closed the bar. We drank for many hours there until the bar closed. So it was, uh, I don't... Be assured in the very beginning, I have no uh, physical recollection of this. I never have. And I pro- and God has confirmed to me that I won't because it's not necessary. But everything I tell you is facts. Uh, it's proof by evidence. But we closed the bar. We left the bar. I'm taking him home. I'm en route to taking him home. But we don't make it. I, I have an accident. Uh, the roads are wet. It's 2.37 a.m., and we run off the road and we roll many, many times They're, They don't even know how many times I rolled, but it was more times that could be counted in the first roll, He was ejected and killed instantly. Wow. I was ejected also after they don't know in what role I was ejected, but I was, we were hundreds of feet from each other and both hundreds of feet from the car that, no longer even looked like a car. Wow! Uh, I was careflighted to the hospital. I flatlined in the copter flight to the hospital. I was brought back and then I was put into ICU. I had a serious uh, head trauma. I had brain hemorrhage. It was my second time from, I had already been in this type of accident more than a handful of times. My nickname back then was crash wow um, i had already done all this to myself before this wasn't the first time but this was the first time that somebody didn't make it and i w- when i woke up he had already been buried um and i didn't know and keep in mind i i had no idea what had happened or anything like this my mother was there I don't think I don't think my dad was but he may have been but uh, my mother was confiding into me as softly as she could that what had transpired what had happened and I just could not even possibly accept this or believe it because i had already been in like i said i've already been in the hospital numerous times from an accident that mm-hmm. i had i had already been ejected from a car two or three times before wow. this. i had already done the inconceivable so many times that i thought this was her scare tactic to tell me that it has reached this bad now are you going to stop you know what i mean
1: wow and
2: I so can I, just I, I
1: I see that I can see how we can feel that how we yeah. we deceive ourselves in that the pain is just so great you're just it. burying it underneath all of that the dependency was, on the alcohol and, exactly. and it's like no it don't don't take my, my only identity method away
2: <laughs> right it was my only identity and 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 I would I I was basically in a nutshell I was trying to say no 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 that didn't happen but I'll make it better next time it won't happen like this again but not, not even conceiving that this was really truth. And so I can't remember from how foggy it was exactly, but there was a process before I started to really grapple with this in my mind that this could be possible. Mm-hmm. It may have been a week or two. I was in the hospital for almost two months. So I had broken up everything in me. I mean, I was, I was, It was a long recovery. Um, so, and it started coming to my conscience that, you know, I know my nature. I know my nature and nobody drove my car ever. You could, you could, nobody was going to say, here, Doug, give me the keys. I'll drive. You, you did, you had a choice. You didn't want, if you don't want to ride with me, you didn't have to ride with me, but nobody was ever going to drive my car. And even though you couldn't tell it was a car, it definitely identified that it came back to me. The car was mine. And so these little things like this are going through my conscience of, of, seeing that, you know, I probably was the driver, but I've been in the hospital before where I was wrong and I was cuffed to the bed. This time I wasn't cuffed to the bed. So I didn't understand that either. If, if it had gotten this bad, why would they not have me cuffed to the bed? I know I can't go nowhere. I can't even walk, but, but so, I mean, that all these little things are playing in my mind. Let me cut to the uh, chase. Um, almost two months after being in the hospital, I'm released, and that also kind of befuddled me, perplexed me altogether. Because if they know I'm the operator, why isn't there an indictment right now, and why right. are they letting me out?
1: Were you never uh charged with killing the man, manslaughter, or whatever they would call I, it? vehicular manslaughter or whatever.
2: Yeah. I, yeah, it was, it was called aggravated vehicular homicide uh, aggravated because drugs or alcohol played was a factor in the case, but it was actually three months after being released from the hospital. So altogether, almost five months from the actual occurrence.
1: Why so long?
2: I don't know why. All I know is that there was spiritual learning in this since then. I, 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 I have my belief that I was meant to go through this turmoil in my mind Mm -hmm. and exercise a faith. If you just allow me to go where I'm going. Mm -hmm. Um, So I get out and I'm doing this. I'm going through this, this turmoil in my mind about how he was taken and why I wasn't taken. Yeah. That really hurt because this man, he wasn't a friend. He was just an acquaintance. Mm-hmm. He didn't live the perfect c- civilian life. He wasn't the perfect and good father. He let his son down quite a bit. But he was still had not done even a fraction of the wrong that I had done. He had still not been given even a fraction of the chances at life that I had been given. He hadn't been in any of the car accidents that I'd been in. He had never been to prison. I had already been to prison. He hadn't ever been resuscitated back to life from his chemical use or anything. And on top of all of that, that I just said, he was a father. His son was in my house. I got him his breakfast ready and his lunch ready for school every morning when I got off work. And this boy at my hands, driving drunk, again, lost his father. And I'm screaming at God from my immature view of who God was, Mm. why he he passed and I survived. Mm. And so from that point, I couldn't believe I was forgivable. And three, like I said, after I'm out of the hospital, almost three months pass, I finally get a knock at the door and I'm finally indicted. I'm indicted for aggravated vehicular homicide and I'm taken to jail and that's where the process of redemption starts to proceed, thankfully. Um, I'm in jail, it happens, I've only been in there about a week or two and uh, the dorm is chaotic, it's loud, it's fighting, it's a bunch of arguing. The CEO officer comes by and ask anybody in the dorm if they wanna to go to a Bible study I chime right in and line up to go to the Bible study just to get out of the dorm and <laughs> have peace. Yeah. Um, I The Bible study is about an hour, hour and a half. And I don't even remember what the Bible study was about, what subject or scripture they were in. I just wanted to get out of there, but I came back about an hour, hour and a half later and mail had been passed out and wasn't expecting mail, but got a piece of mail. Hmm. This was my answer that for, you know, for the waking time that I was in the hospital until those three months that I was out before getting locked up as to how I can be forgivable. I could not see how I could be forgivable for this. And I opened the letter and it was from the victim's mother. The victim's mother stated in that letter in her own way, but completely through Christ, that she stood at my bedside with my mother an hour and a half after finding out about her son's passing and prayed for my survival. She said so much more than that, but she said that in the way that that came from nobody, but my answer as to how I'm still forgivable. (laughs) She, She showed me as an obedient servant and Christian Christ follower, that I was forgivable. And I, my heart did flip-flops. It did somersaults. Oh oh yeah,
1: I got goosebumps all over my whole body when you said that. She's standing at your bedside after learning about losing her son with your mother, praying for you to live. That's contrary to normal human Thinking, apart from Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, to pray for you to live and not die and declare the works of God.
2: Right. And that right there renewed and transformed my whole preconceived notion of who God was. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to a Pentecostal church for three years. My mom took us all all boys, all three boys to the, uh, you know, the church from age eight to eleven. And so I had a God conscience. I saw the spirit working. I listened to my mom's gospel music. And I've always had a God conscience, but I definitely had a wrong perception and view of who God was. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, like I said, my heart just instantly and little by little healed. And it allowed me to be forgiving of myself because God said he saw me forgivable. And so I made the decision right then and there. I knew, I didn't know because I remembered, I knew that I was going to be convicted and I knew from my record, I was about to go do some years in the penitentiary. And I also knew no matter what or how long I was going to walk with God. And that's what I did. Uh, My charge was an F2. I faced eight years. It got dropped to an F3. And then I faced five and I got four. I got four years for this aggravated vehicular homicide. I had a small additional charge on top of it that they re, that they ran concurrent. I did four years and 10 months in prison. Within the first month, I'm going to cut right to this, but within the first month, after still relishing in the idea that God sees me as forgivable, after all that I had done, and I, ha- I don't have enough time or days or weeks <laughs> to tell you all that I had done from addiction but I he brings to my he brings to my conscience and my spirit that I also have forgiveness to give
0: yes. and I didn't
2: have forgiveness to give to anybody but one person and it was my father I had I had to forgive him didn't matter if I saw it like, just worthier calls or if I thought he deserved it. God, you know, his scripture is not just text. It doesn't just say forgive because you have been forgiven. There is a purpose and a real meaning behind that. It's yeah. because it's because it sets me free. Yes. It ha- I had to be set free. <laughs> I had to be set free and forgive him. Otherwise, those four years and 10 months that I was going to do were not going to be as magnificent as the end of that being. I wasn't going to be free. I wasn't going to go forward and learn with them. And I did because he let my heart know that. And I, I didn't know what that meant. I knew my, he, he portrayed to me. That's when I, that's, I also want to say this, that is also when this was in the fall of 04. And almost a whole year had passed since the accident. And At that point, we had six and a half billion people in the world. And I knew right then and there that God knew me individually. And that's when he totally expounded my view about how personable he is. And I was able and I didn't know how I was going to forgive him. I just knew that first that I had to my heart knew. And then little by little, I did take action steps. I, I wrote him a letter. I called. I said it on a call, a collect call. And I went through that. And of course, he doesn't even know why he's forgiven, doesn't know, you know, so that was a, a kind of a letdown, but none of that mattered. I congregated and I fellowshipped with other men in prison who had also come to a point of disgust and purge, purging of their life and, and walked with Christ. And so I, I gather, I put myself in the fellowship of christian brothers who helped walk with me through scripture who helped walk with me in this thing of relationship with christ and the outcome that we want to see isn't always what we what we're going to expect mm-hmm. and so it was good enough to know that god first let my heart know that and then i chose to with my heart forgive him and then because right, as you I,
1: said you you forgave because you needed to forgive and that's what forgiveness is really all about
2: it's about said god forgave us
1: he for jesus bore the sins of the entire world with no guarantee that anyone would say okay yeah i'll take that that's in the bible it calls that a gratuitous contract he wrote it out for our benefit with no guarantee that's why that song reckless love
2: is, reckless
1: love. Is, It really is. It sounds like he's a reckless God, but he, that's how that's love. That's what love because he loved us first. He forgave yes. us first. And by you receiving his love that empowered you to be able to forgive your dad. But see, you forgave your dad the same way God forgave you. Right. God didn't forgive you so that you would. He right. forgave you. And so you yeah. forgave your dad, not so that he would, even though you right. may have hoped, you know, you would right. get a certain response, but it right. wasn't contingent. on that. And that's exactly. unconditional love. And that's God, what man. we need is that unconditional love. That's what, that's what heals our heart. That's what transforms us. That's what empowers us. That's what drives grace through our lives.
2: You said it indeed it does. We are to illustrate that Agape love the Greek word agape is unconditional. Mm-hmm. It's and the more we do that the more we build hope. We just give and build. Um, so I I, I I went through my whole term I got out um, I got out at one of the roughest times uh, which was a little over 15 years ago in December of '08 the recession was right in the middle of that. Um, And so I had to, I had to change my whole uh, idea of work. I went into food because that's all that was hiring. And I went into food and I also, I want to state that uh, while I was in inside, I decided that I was going to exit independently as I could. I wasn't going to do the things the way I used to do them, where just go hang out with a buddy until I get a job. And And I was back in the same cycle of all my addiction by doing that. So I was going to do this different. And so I prepared myself to exit into a halfway house willingly and independently. And it was a Christian uh, based halfway house called Salvation Army. Uh, I went through the phases there of orientation and then being uh, going through the, the procedures of going through the probation, uh, the meetings and all the stuff that the state said you had to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I did it all as, as, as concisely and accurately as they needed me to. And then I started going out for employment, looking for a job. I got two restaurant jobs within a month working all the time. And But I also incorporated myself into a church. I was in the city, which I wasn't used to. So I was in a different style of church, but it was a Christ-loving, grace-giving church that important. my heart- That's important. <laughs> important, very important. And I went to this church. Um, I will say that I didn't do everything that, I've, that I know now I should have done. I did not uh, join myself into community groups or other fellowship with the church and serve some elements that I do now that I didn't do then. I didn't do these things. I just went to church. I still listened to my uh, Christian music. But I you still were still doing
1: things differently. I want to yeah. pause here because well, I didn't do it at this. Still,
2: I was still. give doing yourself
1: the credit that you did right. things differently. You didn't come out and start living a perfect life. That's just not a thing. But right. you came out and you did it differently. And you probably weren't ready. I would guess that you probably weren't ready for that level of commitment you were still probably testing the waters this jesus stuff is still kind of new and now i got this on the outside how does this kind of work i I don't know if i trust you over there at this church i'm going to come but i can really appreciate that that was might have been part of your story so i want to if that's true then i want to just lavish some grace on you because it sounds like you're being a little bit hard on yourself for back then but give yourself the credit where credit is due, you were doing it different, you were walking with the Lord, and his grace is just, little by little, he takes us, he walks with us, I mean, look at all the disciples, and none of them were perfect either, they did a bunch of stuff, and we're we're not ready, when you've been through so much trauma, there is a lot to work out.
2: (laughs) I know, I know, I thank you for pausing on that, because you're right, I won't always give myself credit uh, like I probably should and and deserve to because there's a process for all of us there really is and so I did as much as I could I really could I did but I also the one thing that I knew to that didn't that I didn't do was join with the church I didn't join with the things that I could have done I did not participate with groups of uh, you know positive influence you know iron sharpens iron as mm-hmm. each christian sharpens the other christian and so i i had the ability to do that and i didn't so about a year and a half after going through the phase well i mean i was only in there for four months i got out i went i rented the house and i increased my job uh, workload. I started working more and still going to church, but still working more. And then I go after about 14 months, I go South because the recession is still very present. It's very residual up here in the Midwest. And so I moved to Houston. Houston's a millionaire city. I have an aunt in Houston and I go down to Houston. Um, I get on my feet down there, and less well right at about a year a little less than a year my mother gets ill and as she gets really ill uh quick and when she gets ill i i get a uh, rapid notice that she's not going to make it they have her on uh ventilator and she is just not going to last long but Where they're was not she at? Home. You were in she Texas was, where was she? Yeah, she's from where I'm from, Southwest Ohio.
1: So she was in Ohio while you were in Texas when right. this was going on. So you weren't exactly. near her. And I when you were in her. when you were in uh prison, did she come to see you? Did you stay in contact yeah. with her? I mean, she was by your bedside. There's something right. that I want to circle back here a little bit because I'd mentioned I wanted to bring this up. Because even with all the horrificness with your dad and you know being carried away by, you know coping mechanisms and the alcohol your mom took you to church even though you know things didn't get through because there there were things in the way of you hearing the right way but still it was enough to bring that into your life that you could recollect it later as maybe a thing even if you were mad at God but you believed he was there long enough to to yell at him and she was there by your bedside and she visited you and so I want to just champion your mom with the things that she did right along the right. way, even though she had her own issues. I remember in our pre-interview, you talked about how she had her own trauma and that's what yeah. kept her there, but right. she did some things right. So I want to say to my listeners, yes, if you can just love your kids, you, you don't have to do everything right. If you love them and they know you love them, that's going to make a difference. It might not make everything perfect. And it might not fix everything and it may not stop thing hard things you might have to walk through, but love mitigates trauma and yeah. the love that his mom showed Doug, it played a positive role in his life.
2: And I'm going to piggyback on that and tell you that my mother was the only woman at that time that I had ever loved. She, you know, I mentioned coming to a point at one time begging her to divorce my father, but right she grew up in such a harder time and had a lot more uh absurdity than i did or that our brothers did she grew up with five abusive stepdads yeah. and she went from orphanage her mother was a bad bad uh drunkard she was a very bad drunkard and back then they didn't in her in her childhood they didn't treat women as having a an addiction, they just put them in insane asylums. Mm-hmm. So she she grew up in and out of the orphanage. She grew up in such a hectic childhood that she was willing and accepting to take what we had, to take the abuse when the abuse was there, to take the ridicule and just try to smooth it out as it went on. And that's where she that, that was her interpretation. That was her decision making. And I I, I understand after all this time of going back and reflecting, I understand that with her, I truly do. But what I really wanted to say in in the corner of my mother is that she knew how many times I, I told her that I was done. She knew how many times after going into jail, uncountable times, or having multi-hospital visits, or scaring her to death about another car accident, or all these things, she always forgave me. She truly forgave me. With her heart and her whole being, she truly forgave me, and and therein instilled the hope that I was done. She always did that. It was true mother's love, unconditional. She didn't say, oh, but last time, and and then bring up the past. She never did that. She always held me, held that I would be fulfilling this promise this next time. Now you're you're doing
1: it now. (laughs) You're doing it now. So it's after the fact and after she's passed, but you are there. So her faith in you has come to fruition. She has not been able to see it with her own eyes, but you'll get to tell her about it in heaven, I'm sure. So we can go back to your story. Your mom was sick and you were in Texas and she was in Ohio. And then then some things happened after that. (laughs)
2: And then, uh, yeah, I came back, um, my, my brothers and my dad waited on me to come back to, uh, agree that there was no, there was no way that this was going to work with, you know, keeping her on life support. So we made the decision to exit that and she passed within 13 minutes. And then I'm only there for eight days, uh, long enough for the, the funeral, So I didn't really have appropriate nor full whatsoever, not even partial grieving. Mm. I had to go right back, you know, to Texas and go back to work. I didn't have vacation. I didn't have the ability to, I was already in debt considerably from immediate flight with no reservation, two ways back and forth round trip. And so I have all this going on. Um I decide that, you know, and and I want to also say that there was another factor that I didn't I didn't know how I was going to do this. I didn't have anybody in in Texas. I didn't have all I had was my work people Mm -hmm. and none of them were even friends. I'm working two different jobs down there. They weren't real friends because I didn't have time aside from work. So what I found out was is that I was. I was working too much. Mm -hmm. I always knew I was, but I continued to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go ahead and slip. And I did, I slipped. I went back into some patterns, um, with, you know, I worked in a restaurant that was, it was a very high end restaurant. It was a very, I learned so much about food there, but alcohol was, was everywhere in that, in that, uh, restaurant. And one night I decided that, you know, I've done so good. I'm just going to do this once. And then once turned into a couple months, I think. Mm-hmm. And I I went back into my old ways. And until I left the restaurant and I left the state and I came back up here, I migrated back up here. And I decided that this wasn't going to continue because, you know, he has forgiven me he has redeemed me from so much and all i was doing it, it it was not only the first time that i seen myself go right back to where i left off mm-hmm. but it was it was i lost i was severed in spirit i was severed in relationship because i went to my way mm-hmm. he can't be upon sin he can't he can't you you can't abide in that freedom anymore when you go back and I didn't want that. I really didn't want that. I was, I was going, I was going back into some old patterns that was eventually going to take me full swing back to where I was. And so I didn't. I came back up here. I left that job. I came back up to the Midwest where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And I got into the church and I started applicating service in the church. I started joining groups, small community group. I started going to classes, uh, counseling, discipleship training classes. I went into, and then you know, I, I got a taste into how to biblically counsel addiction and 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 what it means. I, I learned more about what it actually is instead of what the what the world calls it. You it know, sounds was like you the,
1: got an epiphany in there. Yes, you were down in Texas, and you were working all that time and you were going to the church but not investing in it so you right. know you still had that there somewhere in there you got an epiphany and the lord just wooed you out of there somehow because even though he doesn't condone when we're doing things wrong he doesn't abandon us you know when adam hmm. and eve fell in the garden he went to them exactly. <laughs> he comes so to us and so he somehow, gave
0: yeah he some, gave somehow he,
1: he he pulled you out of that and you had some yeah. epiphany to leave that behind, you remember something specific happening, or did it just kind of just? I'll be little honest by with little? you.
2: So, so then my first base from that was humility. I didn't have the fullness of humility. Humility is not necessarily thinking of yourself less, humility is thinking less of yourself. I don't know if that play if that plays uh, a conviction or not, but it, we don't think of ourselves less, but we think less of ourselves. Do you understand? And so I was. I, I, I think I said that backwards. Humility is not thinking less of yourself; rather, it's right. thinking of yourself less. Well, you you know. caught
1: that. I'm like, yeah, he's got that backwards. Yeah. But yeah, because so, if, when we think less of ourselves, we devalue ourselves. Yes, but we when do. we think of ourselves less, we don't have ourselves constantly on our mind because we're not living our life around ourselves. We're not right. being self-centered. The Lord just and wants to so be go, self-centered. He wants us united with Him.
2: Right, and we got to go back to remember that atonement. Mm-hmm. The atonement for our sins was what brought at one minute Mm -hmm. between him and us you know what I mean yeah he wants us and and we and it has to be that close it has to be it has to be that ongoing every day that we get wake up and so these are some elements that I that I practice now first of all I always think about my mother and what how happy she would be with me now
0: Mm -hmm. and whether (laughs) or
2: not she does see or doesn't I'm not too sure of I can't be perfectly uh I can't perfectly address that but I like to think that somehow the spirit has some kind of a view of those things but nonetheless I think of her and I think about how proud she would be now right. not only that but what when, when I actually practice service when I actually practice service in the amount that I practiced addiction wow, is all I can say. Wow is, is, is how free I have become because of it. And so this is what I want to do. I want to, you know, I, I've always wondered what some purpose could be for me because most people that even know about me or hear about me are surprised that I'm even alive because yeah. I've already come so close to that grave. And I've never understood fully of what could be done. So I have basically taken a step of faith to have this website built to help help redeem and bring broken, uh, hurting men and addiction, or even if they're not for sure, they're in addiction just to help men with addiction and the way that I do it in the way that God has delivered me and broke the bondage of addiction from me. Um,
1: and what's the name of and your that, website
2: for our listeners? It's called Broken, or I'm sorry, it's called Breaking Bondage from Addiction.com. And if you go on there, I have a free PDF for a reference for Unchanging Hope. There's a lot of literature on my website, and I know most people probably don't want to read everything. So I have a video on there that you can click on, and I hope that you'll just watch and listen to the video. But um, I really. I explain, I'm also gonna point you back into the landing page or the, the homepage rather, the about page to hear a little bit from me, but there isn't any level of addiction that I can't meet you in and not be familiar with. And so it's, it's more desiring for me to give mm-hmm. and, 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 and serve as I can and come to you and help you serve. And I wanna build this community of men to be free To believe that if we're in addiction, we're not going to control it. We're not going to be free to control it. It can't be controlled. It's just our thing that we have to be out of. And he wants us. He wants us. He desires us. He deserves us. And we want him when we see what he can do for us.
1: Amen. Right. Yeah. When we see what he can do, it's like that Bible verse that says, taste and see. Yeah. that the Lord is good we have to taste it when you go to a restaurant you have to taste something to see if you like oh. it so the Lord wants us to taste and see because he is good and once we right. get a taste of that we're like oh I want me some more of that
2: yeah. <laughs> exactly.
1: exactly so what are what are you uh your plans for the future do you think you might be writing a yes. book or do you do you have a podcast in mind or what do you have plans for the future <laughs> You have okay. this community. How does this community work? And let's share with, right. share with our listeners. What all can they expect to get from you? You have yes, a wealth of information so and redemption and grace. Tell us what's thank going you on. For,
2: thank you for bringing that up. Um, I So I have all the curriculum. I have all the content for my site. It's not, it's not all uh, instituted into my site yet. But I will say uh, two key principles that i believe are a very strong suit to start with are identifying bondages i'm just going to say that one i'm not going to say it's number one but identifying bondages the definition of bondage is mastery uh it's enslavement it's a state of being bound it's a form of captivity so for me my personal life because of you know young child very young child all the way up into age 18 into my early 20s my my belief system was molded into what was delivered to me i was always told i wasn't good that i screwed something up that i was not worth anything i was in the way stay out of my sight all these things incorporated to make me feel no worth i had zero confidence I had no ability to do anything right. I was always yelled at, cussed at, demeaned emotionally in every way. And so that, that it was a bondage of mine that I wasn't ever going to be good enough. I wasn't ever going to do anything right. And what did that do? That executed me to self-crucify, destroy myself, mm-hmm. drive drunk 100 20 miles an hour with no seatbelt on because i'm in because i i I never had no value of myself that was because you believed
1: all those lies
2: i believed all those those lies lies. for all those years i believed that so i had to identify that and then i had to work through that with god's word with a group of men with some people in the church those were it was very important that i had to do that with people with people who had more maturity into it than i did so identifying bondages and working through them secondly and i have to say it's probably i don't i want to say it's the most important but it's definitely up there is the forgiveness and forgiving you have to believe that you are forgivable because as you said earlier While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Mm -hmm. and he's always known us. Jeremiah 1.5 says that he knew us before he knit us together in the womb. If he knew us before he knit us together in the womb, yet he also had planned to lay his life down. His life wasn't taken. He laid his life down for the cost of our sins while we were yet sinners. So forgive knowing that knowing all of that and in every other angle you want to perceive it in we are forgivable mm-hmm. and if we are forgivable as i stated earlier it's not only our due responsibility to give forgiveness back but it's meant to give forgiveness back for our yeah. for for our free freedom for us to be free for us to move forward because we're not ling- lingering in that that judgment of of hatred and right. want to get back at, want to get back at. We need to be free from that. So we and I, and I will also say this, and I'll say this pretty confidently that it's my belief that almost every active addict of any kind, alcohol or drug, it doesn't matter, is probably holding on to unforgiveness. I can't imagine addiction continuing to the depths that it gets without having some without harboring some type of unforgiveness so we have Mm. to see ourselves as forgivable and then we have to forgive none of this is easy it's not easy at all but we're but but with like-minded men who believe in a savior who paid for their sin then we can do this together and it can be easier that way it's meant to be easier that way because god wants us to come together right. to have this
1: we are not alone and you are are listeners, you are not alone if you've been with us the whole time of this interview i want to put you in remembrance of at the beginning of doug's story he was alone he was alone he didn't have friends he started drinking alone there was the alone the alone the alone the alone but healing comes in relationship and you are not alone and God is with you and Doug wants to help you. So I want you to reach out to Doug. If, if this is speaking to your heart, I want you to reach out to Doug. What's that website again, Doug?
2: The website is breakingbondagefromaddiction.com. And as I stayed on there, like I said, um, I have a video on there. And I'm going to ask you over and over during that three or four minute video, just schedule a free Zoom call with me. And I won't bound it by time. You won't be on a 15 or 20 minute limit. We'll be on there as long as you need to be on there, and I'll talk to you at your level that you need to be, that you want to talk with. I will answer any question that I can answer. I will advise anything I can advise, and I tell you on this video that my way is not everybody's way, and I know that from it from the beginning. But I will encourage you. I will be as comfortable as you want to be, and we have complete safeness. And I just ask you to go on there and schedule a call with me for as long as you want. I have a 14 hour wide open window, six (laughs) plus days a week. So that's where I'm at.
1: Thank you. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure that our listeners know before we tie this up with a bow?
2: Sure. Um, I just want to say that I, 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 wanna, I want everyone to believe that they're forgivable. You know, I know how much wrong I did. And I knew I had, you know, I always had a God conscience. But I viewed God wrong. And so you have to believe that he loves you because he first created you. And he has a purpose. And therefore, you are forgivable. And it does not matter what you've done. There is nothing you have done that is too great to be forgiven of. And everything that I do is not for a philosophy. Is everything that I do? I don't do for a philosophy of success on my own. It shouldn't be godless. Everything that I do, I want to be full of God and full of kingdom concepts. So that's why I do this the way this is. Um, you know, I know the program. I know the twelve-step program. I know Bill W. from 1935. I know how the program was instituted. I know everything about it. I know it was self for free will going into it. And I know it by the court mandating me to go into it. And I never had true, true freedom in that. I never had freedom in that. I had freedom when my God showed me how forgivable I was and how he can institute freedom like no other. The AA program never never permitted that it never it gave me the identity of having a disease and where I wasn't accountable but I am accountable I am accountable because I have a mind to be able to have free choice
1: amen oh that's wonderful that's so beautiful thank you for being with me today Doug thank you for opening up and sharing your heart in such a genuine and vulnerable way
2: Thank you. Thank you for hosting me, Danielle. I am so, so, so grateful that you made this as comfortable and you've reminded me of some things that was important to say. So thank you very much.
1: Oh, you're welcome. And our listeners, thank you for being with us today and reach out to Doug, schedule that call if that fits you. So until next time, I love you.